Welcome back to another episode of The Fireside with Jade. I'm your host, Jade Natasha Idiza, and I'm thrilled to have you join us once again. Before I welcome our guest, I would like to take a look at what the Rwandan law relating to human reproductive health provides for. The law that was established in 2016 defines family planning as a way for people to attain their desired number of children and to avoid unwanted pregnancies, taking into account the welfare of the child, the mother, and the family. According to the official Gazette, the key components of human reproductive health are self-delivery for the mother and the newborn, care for the newborn, family planning, prevention and treatment of sexually transmitted infections, including HIV AIDS, prevention and treatment of other infections that are harmful to human reproductive health, prevention and treatment of infertility, prevention of gender-based violence, and care for victims, and raising awareness with the aim of change. Among other articles, Article 7 is about the right to decide. Subject to provisions of the other laws, every person having attained the majority of age has the right to decide for oneself in relation to human reproductive health issues. And then, Article 8 is about the right of access to education and medical services, meaning that every person has the right to access education and medical services related to human reproductive health. Also, An HIV-AIDS infected person has the right to services and necessary medical care consonant with his or her disease conditions, taking into account the national financial capability. Therefore, the government, public institutions, and other institutions in charge of human reproductive health have the obligation to provide necessary medicines and health services close to any person in need thereof for him or her to have good reproductive health. Now, this sounds very good and we're so glad that it exists. And while it covers pretty much the overall basics, there is of course room for improvement. On this note, I'll go ahead and welcome Juliette, our guest for today. Juliette, thank you for being here today and I'll let you introduce yourself better to our audience and say why you're passionate about this particular topic. Thank you so much, uh, Jade, for having me today. And uh, this is a very important conversation to have. Uh, so my name is Juliette Kalitani. Uh, I'm a feminist and activist, and I've uh, been working uh, worked in the health or reproductive health uh, sector um, for more than three years, and also uh, been part of um, feminist group that have been advocating for uh rights of women especially for young people and adolescents so mm-hmm. basically uh, that's that's about me let's start by discussing the term family planning you see many people associate this term with married couples or those that are in committed relationships and hence are thinking of actually making a family together so do you think the naming mm-hmm. of as family planning contributes to the stereotype and the stigma around the topic? Or, if I can say that, do you think there is even a stereotype and stigma around the topic in the first place, or am I just making this up? No, there is, there is, definitely there is. Uh, so uh, family planning definitely contributes to the stigma around uh, contraception, especially in Rwanda, where it is called Kuhonizurubjaro. So most of the time when 
young women or young girls try to access um, uh, this the contraception, they always ask them, or like, why would you uh, plan for children that you haven't had yet? So um, that's why we encourage people, especially people who give services or even journalists to keep using the word contraception, which is queering the gusama or um, contraception. So uh, most of the time now when they use the, the family planning, um, this can marginalize unmarried individuals definitely and young people who might require contraceptives and they feel like they're excluded. So mm-hmm. using more language that are inclusive, uh, that will help young people to feel, um, to, to have agency and also feel like it's important for them to also have this, to have access to these uh, uh, contraception methods. So yes, definitely there is a stigma around it. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. Uh, the term implies that contraceptives are solely for those who are married and want to have to plan for their families. And this narrows the focus, uh, which eclu- excludes single individuals who are sexually active and in need of the contraceptives. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, intentionally perpetrate the stigma and create barriers for those outside the traditional family structures. Because, you know, research shows that many young and uh, single women have um, mm-hmm. do not go consult their gynecologist or any other medical yeah. because they are. Um, they do not want to go through the process of being asked many questions of why are you here, where is your husband? Even those who go to mm-hmm. take some pregnancy tests are asked such questions like, where is your husband? And they that they just assume that you're married, which is not correct. And so it's wrong. Yeah. Tell me, mm-hmm. how do you think we can redefine the naming and the messaging surrounding contraceptives to be more inclusive and remove the associated stigma? So uh, definitely we need to start calling it uh, contraception or even the, the adverts, most of the adverts, I don't know if you realize, it's more about couples. It's more about women, uh, married couples, even at the health facilities. You will never find um, adverts that shows a young woman who's coming for uh, for test or she's coming to get an, a, a contraception by herself. Yes. So we need to to have those um, awareness campaign that are not centering on couples only, but also are centering on individuals who go there and also making m- making it more accessible. Uh, they are accessible, but having more uh, stigma-free. As you said, people always ask you about your husband or the, and all these uncomfortable questions. So we need to have um, healthcare providers who are aware that when they ask this kind of question, they make young people very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So keep uh, also like that the 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 the, the terms of um, contraception or quitting the Musama than using the whole family planning word. Um, they can use that for couples, but also we, we need to bring that quitting uh, the more um, frequent in mm. our in, in in the Ministry of Health or even at the health facilities in the in the adverts. Especially so now in September, we are going to celebrate World Contraception Day. And most of the time, that's the time, that's the only time you hear 
saying contraception or pilinda kusama. So we need to hear that throughout the year. So mm. okay. So speaking of stigma and stereotypes, um, do you ever wonder why there is plenty of contraceptives meant for women's body, but way less for the male? And why do you think it is regarded as a woman's responsibility to think of this particular issue? And then if you find and then you will find that women not only bear most of the health related burdens of contraceptives, but also the financial mm-hmm. part of why do you think it is that way? Mm-hmm. Definitely the whole um I would say the whole world or people who have power will have um structured uh the contraception narrative and around women so they have put that um burden on women and yet we know we always talk about it that uh, a woman can only get pregnant once in a year but a man can impregnate so many women throughout the year right but we need we need we need men and women to to restructure the whole uh, health system, not only in Rwanda, but from the research point of view globally, where we are going to see, we need to see uh, products, contraception products that are for men as well. Even those that are, are currently available, such as con- uh, as condom and vasectomy, they are not they are not as popular as they should be. Yeah, I remember. Um, when I was starting to work with an organization that I was really working with recent um, uh, few uh, a month ago, uh, HDI, so we did a campaign on vasectomy. So it was during uh, it was September. So we did a, an online campaign around vasectomy, but the backlash and the and the and so many myths around vasectomy was shocking. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they think that. Um, uh, we wanted to we want to make men infertile and that uh, and 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 it's not a very good um, a very good contraception until like the following year I had to go and find that and I realized that in Rusizi we had a lot of men who actually uh, are using vasectomy so we need to hear more of those stories so definitely uh, the disparity in contraception. Uh, option for men and women um, comes from a historical and cultural norms that have placed the responsibility of contraception on women. So this definitely perpetuates gender inequalities and can lead to unequal burdens in terms of health and definitely, as you said, uh, financial aspect. And here I would say that Rwanda has done a very good job with um, uh, the mutual de santé mm-hmm. that we have. This has actually helped women not to go to ask um, financial support to their partners. So they would go directly to the health centers. And this has also actually helped in increasing the uptake of contraception in the country. So um, this is a good thing, but we need uh, more contraception, at least those that we have currently, you know, the vasectomy. And um, and condoms to be more um, more uh, popular, but also uh, there is also an issue of men being partners, men being supporters. But we need to make uh, reproductive health very inclusive, showing that men also need these reproductive health uh, services. 
So most of the time you hear that it's as if you have to support your wife, you know, but these are yours as well. We need to teach men that they have to have access to, to, to reproductive health services, such as uh, um, going for uh, prostate cancer tests, you know. And most of the time we, we, when we are talking about reproductive health, we tend to only talk about contraception, but it's very broad. So we need to make them also um, uh, beneficiaries of reproductive health um services as well mm. this one is very interesting mm. i would actually want to know and hear from people themselves why they think mm. that even the few available options for male contraceptives are not very much uh, explored are they that they are more harsh or are they that there is more cultural uh, stigma existing around it so it's worth exploring um so now let's go back mm. to the landscape in rwanda the law, it states that mm. individuals under 18 years old cannot make decisions regarding reproductive health. Do you see this restriction impacting access to contraceptives for young adolescents who may already be sexually active? Yeah, definitely. We, we by what we are seeing, you know, numbers don't lie. We, we can say the culture, religion, we can always make excuses and uh, all these things, but we see always every year teenage pregnancies uh, are very high. Um, more than 20,000 teenagers get pregnant in, in Rwanda. We also see something that is not being um, taught, is not being, um, uh, people are not talking about it, is that new infection of HIV are between people the, who are between the age of 17 and 24. So there is also a very um, big component of malnutrition uh, among children of teenagers, of teen mothers. So most, uh, what I read is that uh, 60% of children born from teenagers die before the age of five. So the whole, this whole um, uh, law affects definitely the most vulnerable who are uh, young people below the age of 18. Now, I always joke about uh, telling people, even at my age, I can't tell my mom to go with me at the hospital. How do you think a young person who's not even allowed to have, to be sexually active, to go and tell their parents to go with them at the, at the hospital? It's impossible. Did you, and they know, and people, and they know it, yeah? So definitely this affects the way they, they, they access uh, contraception. It restricts them, you know? And uh, this, this, this uh, lim limitation can, can definitely affect them for the, for the rest of their lives. And also the fact that we have more women or young girls who are getting pregnant, that also affects our our adv advancement of gender equality. Because we want girls to be in schools, we want them to excel, we want them to get, uh, to, to have jobs. And now we have a lot of young girls uh, getting pregnant. They're going to raise, like it's babies, raising the other babies. I would say some, also there is also the, the part of an, an unsafe abortion. Some, some others even die, you know, doing unsafe abortion, even if 
today, which is very good. We have the ministerial order, and I know so many organizations are doing an awareness around um, the ministerial order. And definitely, uh, from what I've seen, is that women are actually uh, going to health facilities to have uh, a safe abortion. But definitely, this uh, this this law affects mm. affect many young people. Yeah, I think it's up to our society to accept the reality that young people are involved sexually and that they are mm. actually should be in position to have access to comprehensive sexual education and reproductive health services which are tailored mm. to their group ed to their edge group if need for example if they need to establish some control then clear the guidelines and support the systems can still be made clear to ensure that their well-being and protection is prioritized but we need to ac give them access right so, yeah, definitely. Really, mm -hmm. still on this. Um, it brings to mind the recent rejection of the bill of contraceptives for fifteen young from fifteen years old by the parliament. Do you have any thoughts on mm -hmm. this decision and how it impacts the reproductive health rights of adolescents in Rwanda? Mm -hmm. So, uh, the rejection of the bill definitely wasn't. <laughs> it was very but to hear that the, the parliament rejected it and this decision might lead actually to more like to high rates of unintended uh, pregnancies and um, the spread of STIs but we we also need to see this as um, um, that when we are restricting or when we the, the bill is not passed mm. most of the time this is going to affect more women you know it's going to affect um, young girls and uh, also that they only looked at the at, at that article to to allow fifteen the, the young girls who are the age of fifteen to access uh, contraception. But the the bill is big. The bill is broad. It has uh, we need to look at um, a reproductive health uh, system in a broad way. In a broader way, like we have we have to look at it as. Um, a reproductive health system that includes also diseases, cancer, assisted reproductive methods such as IVF and surrogacy. So it wasn't a bill for only um, allowing uh, 15 years old to have access to contraception. It's a very it's a very broad bill. So uh, we, we, I would recommend because it was shocking to hear some of the MPs' interventions. Most of them were more of assumptions than um, than data. It was uh, more of a religious and cultural um, um, interventions. So it's as as a country that is not a religious country. So we base most of our decision from data or science. And I know the Ministry of Health has engaged the Parliament to talk to them and show them that uh, even WHO also shows that um, a woman can start using contraception from the age of 15 and above. So definitely science is telling us that it's fine, you know, and uh, we need the MPs to do more work and exercise and read to actually understand that this bill is actually going to help women to have more agency, more access and also to reduce uh, teenage pregnancy, because um, and also the, even the whole um, 
the people who give the services, I heard from um, so many uh, healthcare providers who say who you who work at the at the youth corners. They say that they receive teenagers from all the, like they receive young people from all ages, from the age of 13, 17, and they give them sometimes these uh, these contraception methods. But because the law is there, sometimes they fear, you know. So it's very important for 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 us as a country to revise it. We have numbers of teenage pregnancies everywhere, and we can see that it keep rising. So we need actually uh, to to go back and look at the at, at the law. So we need more um, advocacy efforts from the 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 civil society, um, and then also um, engaging engaging the public as well, engaging um, the community to just the, to just show them and make them understand that this is an issue that needs to be tackled, but not only to look at only that article where they're seeing uh, access for contraception for young people below the age of 15, but to look at the whole reproductive health, uh, reproductive health bill. Mm. And what you just said would, may want um, us to dread a bit carefully on this because you, you've, you've said it. Many Rwandans based on their sentiments, mostly on culture, religion. But then how do we ensure that this does not conflict with them? I mean, how do we ensure harmony? Or is it a lost battle? One has to go and the other has to remain. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that uh, advocacy takes time. Um, when I was talking to people who who did an ad- the advocacy about uh, access to to safe abortion, they would tell you that this took ten to ten years or twelve. You know, and it's it's very important that we we don't also take that much time. Yeah, we would wish for it to be revised very soon, and also. Um, so that we they, they can take a very positive uh, stand uh, about it. So definitely, um, we need to talk to a lot of people, especially journalists who also uh, make this kind of topic more aware mm-hmm. to the public and also get them to talk about it and encourage people not to talk about it from the angle of religion or culture. You know, mm-hmm. that is. I'm sorry, but that is not science science you know <laughs> we need to go to science and if you want to teach people about um, abstinence that's okay you can I think it's important as well but at least um, let's let, 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 let's help those women or young girls to make uh, th- their decision freely you know and also build that agency you know I agree this um the fact that we are still having this conversation shows that there are still a lot of challenges to tackle. And when you look at this, Juliette, what do you think are some strategies that could be implemented to overcome um such barriers and ensure that all individuals, including adolescents, have access to necessary reproductive health services? Do you have any recommendations in mm-hmm. mind? Yes, I have a few. Uh, one is that we need. Uh, comprehensive sexual education to be taught in schools. We have a curriculum, so we de- we need teachers who are not shy, teachers who don't come 
um, to teach about uh, CSE uh, with a cultural or religious mindset. So we need um, we need we need it as a first as a standalone course that is taught throughout, you know, in in the whole uh, in school, yeah. And mm. we need also teachers who are able. I don't know. We can also there is a way they can see how to even include nurses to go and at, at schools and teach, you know, this kind of, uh, the, the, the CAC. But also, we also need a youth-friendly youth corners. By this, we I know some, we have youth corners, but we need nurses who give stigma-free, uh, judgment-free services mm. to, to, uh, who are also young, who who, when young people go there, they don't feel like they're talking to their grandmothers or they're <laughs> yeah. talking to their mothers or their uncles or their, you know. So we need that as well. So we need also community engagement, engaging um, leaders and parents and guardian in this kind of conversation that are very important. They need to understand that um, uh, when we have teenage pregnancies, it doesn't only affect um, the health and economy and education and gender, they need to know that it's a whole threat to the development of our country. So we are actually letting down these young girls, you know. We, 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 we shouldn't be, um, we should be ashamed and we should really look for more solutions, you know. Mm. To, 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 to reduce teenage pregnancies. We need also more campaign. I remember growing up, we had a Sinigurisha campaign. Mm. And at the time, I never felt so proud to be a young person who would say no when I, like, you know, like it, it, wearing that uh, orange wristband was such a pride, you know. And I no longer see those kind of campaign, you know. We don't, we don't see campaigns around uh, uh, awareness of uh, contraception, agenda, you know. So we need more campaigns to, to actually reduce stigma and also promote positive attitude toward contraception for both boys and also girls, yeah. So, yeah, I, I would say those would be... Um, but also teaching girls about agency. We, 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 we rarely teach young women that... They, they, they should have a negotiation about relationship, about sex, about what they truly want. When they want something, it's okay for them to say yes, but also know how to actually uh, prevent diseases, uh, pregnancies, but also to say yes when they want, you know, and also to, sorry, and also to say no when they, they don't want to do anything, you know, because most of the time, because when, when you grow up as a young woman, and you, the decision around your health is being taken or reproductive health is, is, uh, comes from your parents. So when you grow up, that's when you find out that most of random women, when they want to make um, a decision about contraception, they will always consult their husbands, you know. So you realize that women tend to feel like their body is not there. So we need to actually... Um, bring that to to them and also, and tell them that this is your body. You can make a decision and teaching that from a very early age. You you're not going to teach someone about reproductive health when they are older. You know. So yes, it's possible, but it's best to teach. It's really better to teach them when they are they are still young. 
Yeah. Well, one thing I'm taking mm. out of everything you said, uh, Juliette, is that this is not a one man's business. It concerns the government, mm -hmm. concerns the young women, mm -hmm. concerns the institutions, yeah. educationists, mm -hmm. uh, medical mm -hmm. health staff, like literally everybody. And hence, we should yeah. make it, you know, a point to mm -hmm. um, and educate ourselves about the subject. Well, mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. we go on and on, but we cannot exhaust mm -hmm. all of it in one episode. And hence, let the audience mm -hmm. decide if we would, they would want us to look at more details on this specific topic in the upcoming episodes as well. And the truth is, this mm -hmm. conversation around access to contraceptives and reproductive health in Rwanda is crucial to building a more inclusive mm -hmm. society. And it needs to be discussed openly and continuously until we reach the level we want. As you said, advocacy takes mm -hmm. time. So I think we are going to yeah. conclude this episode from here, but uh, feel free to, to share any of your parting thoughts. Thank you. Uh, so definitely um, my, my, my last message would be to To, to, to make people understand that this needs a multifaceted approach, as we said. We need advocacy, we need education, policy change, definitely. Um, we need people to, we need community engagement so that we can keep talking about, uh, we have all this open conversation about it. But also remembering that we are not doing this for ourselves. We are doing it for young people. We always say that we need a, 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 a Rwanda needs to have a, a good future. So we can never have a good future if um, young people do not have the power to make uh, informed decision about mm -hmm. their reproductive health. So let's let's do it for them. And definitely, when they look back, they will say that some people did something great for us, and they will carry on with other issues that will be uh in their time so yeah i agree i agree and thank you juliette for voicing uh, all the points that i i really was looking forward to have someone bring up so thank you for not oh, sharing thank you so much advocacy you're you're you are a hero <laughs> Aww, thank you so much jade thank you So we've arrived to the end of this episode. I urge all our listeners to actively engage with us by sharing their thoughts, questions and suggestions. Together, I believe that we can be a catalyst for positive change and push for an inclusive approach for reproductive health. I want to express my gratitude once again to our listeners, supporters and our incredible guests, Juliette. Without your participation, this platform would not be possible. Stay tuned for our next episode where we will continue our exploration on public policies and how they relate to gender equality. Until then, take care. Thank you for tuning in to The First Side with Jade. Remember, you belong here if you look forward to igniting change and creating a more inclusive world. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on all our social media platforms to stay updated. Until next time, take care and keep the conversation going. Yeah.